Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Startup Nightmares. Startup Nightmares is a podcast that aims to inspire those who work in the startup world to do the best work they can the best way possible while dodging some bullets doing so. Let's just be a bit more human here. All of these people started needing stuff from me. Don't feel like you're on your own because you're, you're never on your own. But I'm paying this person a good wage. Why isn't that enough? And that doesn't make me special. What is making me special is my deeper story. People need a sense of purpose to feel motivated in their job. Wake up at five in the morning and like go to the gym for an hour. Like, what the fuck is that? You're sitting at your desk crying, and you're like, what happened? I had no idea how to monetize anything. I was like, ah, everybody gets a title, you get a title, you get a title. Either pay me, or I will sue you. All of our guests have been to the dark side of the innovation ecosystem and came back to tell their tale. You can use this. This is how you get there. It is not a secret anymore. My name is Tal Shmueli, and I will be your host. Hey, Bayou, how's it going? Hi, I'm good. I'm good, thank you. <laughs> thank you for coming to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. We've met online a few uh, a few days ago, actually, and I looked at your CV on LinkedIn and I figured this is one voice we'd better not miss out on if speaking about things that happen in the startup world. We're going to start off with who you are, what do you do, and why do you do it? So I'm Bayo Adilaja and I run a social enterprise called Do It Now Now. And essentially what we do is we are trying to empower black people everywhere. And the verticals through which we do that are uh, black women, uh, black LGBTQ, black uh, non-binary, uh, black people in tech and uh, African tech entrepreneurs. So those are our focus demographics. Basically, we just want to make sure that we can bridge the disenfranchisement gap um, that is apparent in most uh, developed countries as well as across Africa. Can you repeat that long, big word who have never heard before? Disenfranchisement gap. The What does that mean? Disenfranchisement gap. Basically, it's looking at the way that black people tend to access resources, tools, support, um, high-level positions, investment, all of the things that people need in their different fields, particularly to do in, with um, entrepreneurship, leadership, or activism, being more active in your local mm -hmm. uh, arena, politically, um, economically, socially, culturally, the barriers that stop you from doing that, from being an active voice in your local system. 
I am very tempted to go into the how and the technicalities and also get to understand why you named your company Do It Now Now. But before we do that, I want to make sure that we cover the key motivation. Why do you do what you do? When I first started Do It Now Now, I was trying to solve a problem that I faced. I was, I still am, a highly educated person with a lot of opportunities and a lot of privilege that I had growing up um, with the people that my parents are, the friends that I had, the access that I had. Uh, and as I got more and more into the tech world and as I got more and more into the, my professional uh, life, I realized that there were a lot of barriers that I was facing that I shouldn't have logically faced considering the, all the boxes that I did already tick. So I started Do It Now Now to solve a problem of access and resource for people like myself. And as I kind of went further into it, I realized that if we were going to see the world really change for the better, it had to requ- it had it required all of us. Um, our tagline, well, our unofficial tagline, I suppose, is the future needs us all. And I am a kind of a pseudo futurist in the sense that I really believe that the innovations that are going to change the world for the better are living in the minds of people who are too scared, too tired, too overwhelmed and too poor to be able to actually action those ideas and turn them into viable innovations that will change the world. So we're just tackling the race that is specific, is re- directly connected to us and kind of growing from there. When you say accessing resources, what does it really come down to? There's a fantastic CNN um, anchor who I... I can't remember his name right now, which is terrible, because Van Jones, that's who it is. Um, He went to Harvard Law School and he told the story of his experience there. And he was saying that he did all of his work. He got the grades. He was studying and doing what everyone had said you should do on the websites, on on the posters, you know, study hard, get there, apply for internships and all of that. But when he graduated, he realized that the rest of his classmates were being, uh, kind of informally mentored by professors. And he wasn't receiving access to that level of privilege, those open doors, those locked rooms, um, because he didn't have anyone that would be able to take him into those rooms and give him access to that information, give him access to those introductions. So that is what access is. It's about being able to kind of see the source code behind the matrix and say, this is what it actually is. And uh, so much of that is hidden behind kitchen table conversations or, um, I don't know, dad at the country club mentioned this and like, that's how I found out that this other guy at the country club works at Golden Sachs and I mentioned that I needed an internship and he was like, yeah, sure, I'll get it. Like, just email me tomorrow. Those things don't happen as organically for people who live in low income areas. And um, what we're trying to do is hack that system and be able to identify people with the drive and the passion and the interest in specific areas and then give them the access to be able to exist and thrive in those areas. And then when it comes to resources, it is downright, do you have the tools? Do you have the Google Cloud credits to help you? Do you have the AWS credits? Do you have the the lawyer that can have a one hour conversation with you um, about how you set yourself up? Do you have the, the training you need? Um, so we're not even talking about big money investment, discrimination in how capital is being deployed. We're talking about super simple stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was reading about ecosystem development uh, a couple of years ago, and I was just fascinated by the way that ecosystems are built. And what we've decided to do is essentially reverse engineer ecosystem 
stakeholders and the parts of them that form them. This decentralized movement that we have in London, uh, this London Tech Week, there are all these tech hubs doing all of, the, all of these different things. So what we're trying to do is basically reverse engineer all of that and place them at the feet of disenfranchised people who do not feel comfortable entering those spaces. One of my favorite articles that I've read recently is uh, something called, it was titled, Black People Don't Go to Galleries. That isn't true. Um, it was about uh, p- black people's experience of London specifically. That isn't true. Black people do go to galleries. But the author was sp- talking specifically about low-income people, uh, people living in low-income low-income areas who feel viscerally upset by the whiteness that they see when they enter traditional galleries because it's a place that basically yells at you you are not welcome here and you have to have been comfortable enough for a long enough period of time in spaces like that to be able to survive in those areas and that is what the tech space is it's a boys club it is a white person's club typically it is a lot of spaces that basically yell at you as you walk in the door and you see no one that looks like you, no one that's building anything that's culturally relevant to you because they don't understand you, no one that's building anything that you're building because they don't think what you're building is valid because it is usually, if you're a person of colour, you're building something that is solving a problem for other people of colour because you are the one experiencing that problem. So it's a lot of different things that we're basically just trying to say, let's take the key parts of it and make it an ordered step, orderly step by step program and allow people to access it in a way that is basically saying, this is for you. You can use this. This is how you get there. It is not a secret anymore. What did you learn about ecosystem creation and what did you already get to implement? You can't uh, replicate grit. You can't replicate passion. You can't replicate, um, you can't force someone to take on the mantle of being a startup founder because not everyone is cut out for it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it's not something I would wish on pretty much anyone, but you can give the people that do have that passion, that drive and that entrepreneurialism about them, the foundation that they need. So that's fascinating. But before you did all of that, there was something else. There was your professional trajectory in your career that led you here now. Tell us a little bit about that, your first job in tech. How was it like for you entering that space? Well, my first job in tech was as a founder. Um, I didn't actually know I was running a tech company. I just, I watched like everyone else that I'm hugely embarrassed to say this was the reason I got into tech actually, but I watched the social network movie and I thought, oh, I can be the next Mark Zuckerberg. Maybe that isn't what I want to be today, but um, that idea, that thing of you could be a university student, have a good idea and build it and just make something of yourself and test it and have fun with it and get your friends involved and make this thing happen. That film kind of made me feel like I, I was, it was possible. Anything was possible. Hey, I got to advertising because I wanted to be Don Draper and uh, halfway through the first season, I'm like, you know what? Advertising looks cool, but I don't know if I want to be this guy. Yeah. Sometimes I have to be, I still, I still do want to be this guy, but it's funny because this touches on the, on the expectation management when people enter, like, mm. okay, Mark Zuckerberg, it's a one in a billion. Yeah. Um, anyway. And, uh, not just that, but again, back to the thoughts on, on access and resource. I started this tech company, didn't realize it was a tech company. I just thought I was building, oh, it's a social network. Um, and it was uh, a social network for university students, um, in non-creative degrees with a creative passion. So if you were a poet 
that was studying maths. This was a place for you to share your poetry, to sign up for poetry jams, to, you know, promote what you were doing. And it grew to um, 12 universities, 75 people on our street team, about 2,000 daily users. Um, so it was it was pretty big, I know now. I didn't know that then. I thought I was just doing something. And I had no awareness of investment. I thought the only places that you could get investment were Dragon's Den and a business loan. Um, and my parents didn't know anything about it either. And they thought I was just wasting my time and should be spending all of that energy um, on my degree rather than on... What was, what was your degree? Thing. I was studying English literature. I was not planning to be an English teacher. Um, I had no idea what I was going to do after university. I just did something that would be a time saver, like a timekeeper. And so I just had all of this spare time and no real passion for my degree. And all of that passion found itself in this business. And um, the the harder it got, the more I reached out for help. But there wasn't that help. No one I knew was doing anything similar. The harder it got. It sounds like a passion project that got a little out of hand. Oh, it was growing way too quickly. It was something I expected to like have a couple of people on and like it was just going to be this fun thing. But suddenly there were, we were in 12 universities. I was studying as well. I was I had friends. I had family. I was volunteering because I, I, I'm a big volunteering person. And I was doing this thing that just slowly took over my life. And uh, my housemate was also building a business um, that was very early stage and her parents gave her 10,000 pounds just to like have fun with and let her go part-time on her degree so she could do it. And the thought of me going even part-time, whatever, on my degree was like a sin to my parents. So there was so much that I was just culturally coming up against, but um, my family couldn't help me. My friends couldn't help me. My university tried to help me, but they gave me 300 pounds and said, there. I think that isn't useful in the long term. That's enough to print a playbook. It's not enough to... Uh... <laughs> it just wasn't. It was... It was. And the reason I got the £300 was actually because I entered a, a university competition. We came second. Um, another guy came first, who I'm friends with now. I found out that after he graduated, and by no fault of his own, he's a wonderful white, white man, um, but I found out that after he graduated, he, um, he joined an accelerator. And... Uh, is now retired in Bali. And I am not. Uh, not that I, it's not a life that I would choose for myself at 29. But um, I'm just saying that I had no idea accelerators existed at that time. But he did. And um, he was able to find that, that information and get that help where I wasn't, um, despite all of the Googling in the world. So it's just little things like that. Um, kind of that experience and the horrible experience with an angel, uh, that I thought was going to sell, was going to buy my business from me. Turned out they were just stealing my business from me and all of the information attached to it. So those kinds of things kind of turned me off of tech. You had an idea, you had a passion, you threw a lot of energy and resources, taking some risks because you were jeopardizing your degree mm-hmm. um, into making this thing happen. And you had a problem that doesn't usually happen, and that is that you were going too fast. What were you doing then? Like you realized, okay, this is bigger than than me. What happened then? When did the agent investor came in? It was, I suppose, when my brother started promoting it. That's when I knew that this was this was big because my brother loves me, but he also is like, uh, I'll wait for it to I'll wait for it to take off before I before I start like sending this yeah. to people. <laughs> 
Um, and uh, yeah, we were, all of these people started needing stuff from me. And that was anxiety building because I didn't, I wasn't prepared to give anything. I was just doing stuff. Who are so, these people? What did they want? Oh, uh, so one idea that came across was, oh, we should print an anthology. Like of our poems, of our writing, we should like have our music in, in an album. We should do this. We should do that. Like all of these great ideas that would have made money. But I had no idea how to monetize anything. I was just like, this is a fun thing. Facebook is free. This is free. Cool. I had no idea what I was doing at all to any extent. I was just testing things. And my big love was building community. I wanted to know if I could provide something that people would want to use and continue using and find friends on. Like they would want to kind of build associations and build a bigger thing out of what I had created. And they did do that. They just did it at a much quicker pace than I was expecting. Though I don't think I set a pace really. I just thought, oh, this will just be a fun thing and I'll never really go anywhere. And then I said, oh, I need volunteers to help me because this is way too much. Got a lot of volunteers, had no idea how to manage that many people. Um, and managing volunteers is different because yeah. if you're managing a person a salesperson you're like okay sell more sell less yeah. say this don't say this uh, they have to be at least somewhat qualified or motivated to do the role but volunteers it's a lot of abstract energy that's yeah. going everywhere yeah and um, it's uh, you kind of have to keep them you kind of have to keep the brand alive for volunteers to keep feeling especially university students who need to pad out their CVs um, their CVs so you need to keep the brand alive as to like this is a big deal you this is why you should be involved um, these are the resources and they're comparing it to other organizations that, that friends are um, are volunteering with and being street team for so where are our flyers where are our jackets where are our pins where are our theater tickets where are like our like perks and things and it's like This is a one-man band from my dorm room. I don't have all of this to give you. So you find yourself under many demands mm -hmm. from many people. Yeah. Variety of things that you're being expected to do. Sounds very much like a startup. Yeah. Like not knowing what you've gotten yourself into, not being able to foresee what's coming your way and not being able to tell what would be a good way to solve one problem yeah. or the next. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I just, at the point where I was starting to feel really very overwhelmed, um, I, as usual, turned to my mother for, for advice. And as usual, my mother's main piece of advice was quit and focus on your degree, because that's what she knew. A degree is a stable thing. It's something that gets you a job and you get a job and you get paid well. And then you just buy a house and you live your life. And that's life. Linear. So, yeah, exactly. Predictable. Yeah. No, and uh, safe, which is very much what she wanted for me. She didn't yeah. want these like highs and lows. I was calling her crying. I was calling her happy. She was just like, this is too much. <laughs> Do you still call her crying? Do you still? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, my, does, my, my, does she still send you a, oh, you should have, should have gone back, you should get another degree? No. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. She still sends me. MBAs, PhDs, and masters. Like, They don't give up. They don't give up. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. But you know, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot uh, that she and she living so far away from me for the first time because of, I was five hours away at university, so it wasn't like an easy drop in. So she was just very worried all the time. So uh, her advice was the best advice she she could give, and I was just too tired to fight back and say no. This is what I want because I knew I was passionate about it. But I didn't know why. I didn't know. You're probably also at least starting to burn out. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, that was, yeah, 
And um, that's when I started looking for someone to take it over. And I thought, I read something about people buying companies. And that's when I read into another, someone who just graduated from, um, I think it was my university. No, it wasn't my university, but um, a similar university. And he'd gotten about 250000 from a former Dragon's Den judge. So this was like all of my connections in my brain as to how you make money were making sense. Did it feel accessible to you? Did it feel like it's something that can happen to you? I'm a Christian, so anything's possible. <laughs> like it was just like, you never know what can happen. Okay, so you had um, this idea yeah. and it kind of like, like flicked a switch in your mind. Yeah. I was like, okay, let's, at least, let's try this and we'll see what, what makes, like what comes of it really. And uh, when I, I reached out to this company and they were doing something kind of similar, but it was failing terribly. And I was just like, hey, and my my inclination is always to say, this is how you can make it better, um, based on my own experience. So I called up, uh, got a meeting with the VP and started talking to him about what he'd been b- building and what we were doing and how it was working for us. And they could maybe do something. Why do you think he took that meeting? I think... A- People, people still do that with me, to be honest. They they take meetings and um, or ask me for like follow-ups. And now I'm good at telling when you're just like wanting to find out how we do what we do rather than actually trying to like take a step further. Back then you had a, you had a side project that was mm-hmm. going on, yeah. just taking off. A VP. He mm-hmm. sounds like an important person. Oh, a VP in a startup. Okay, so yeah. like a, like a VP type. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, okay. yeah, a VP startup. So he took the meeting and we just started over the course of a year, we started having these like almost weekly conversations where I was updating him about what we were doing, how we were doing it. Eventually I got up the courage to say, I would be really interested in you guys because I knew they'd just gotten all of this money. So I thought, okay, you guys give me some money and I could just give you all of the stuff that we've built and we can tweak it and you can just like use the information and the, the connections that we've had, we've made over this, uh, over this time period to build up what it is that you're building. And, um, we finally set up a meeting in London cause I was in Durham, he was in London, uh, and it was the summer holidays. So we finally set up a meeting and, um, he just didn't show up to the meeting in person and we kept me waiting for three hours at the station. First it was, um, no, we're moving on. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Offices. Then it was, and I said, "Oh, I can help move. Like I can pick up boxes. Like I don't mind. I want to meet the rest of the team because that was what I was promised. I was going to meet the team. We we're going to talk about the deal. We we're going to sign contracts. That was what I was in London for. And uh, finally met me at a Starbucks near the station, and um, then explained. Uh, we had a full conversation about like basically how I was winding up what I had been building to hand it over. And by that time, he pretty much wound it up." And uh, he then said, at the end of this conversation, we're no longer interested in investing or buying it from you. And I was devastated in that moment. But then he left and oh, I paid for the coffees as well <laughs> in the Starbucks. I always remember that I, I was like, shouldn't you try to pay for these coffees? Like the only thing he brought with him to that coffee shop was a notepad and pen. And he was writing throughout the entire conversation. And so uh, like a day later or two days later, it suddenly dawned on me what had happened, that this guy had basically just been taking all of my ideas. He downloaded your brain. Yeah, pretty much. And I was like, oh, okay, that that's not that's not to be expected. I don't know if this was legal at the time, but I just had a recording app on my phone. Like, I, I'm interested in technology, so anything that new that comes out, I always try it out. And I just kept this app on my phone for about a year completely unconnected to this um to this particular situation but uh i just so happened to have been recording literally every single call i had for a year so i said i called him he had not been picking up my phone my my calls for about a week and i finally left a message and said hey i've been talking to my family about this and i don't know if you know this but i come from a family of lawyers and they were saying that because all of the information that we've exchanged over email is still in my inbox and it's still tracked. And then I have all of these recordings because I don't know if you know this, I just so happen to record all of my phone calls. I can prove if you implement any of the things that I've said over the past year. So either pay me or I will sue you. Um, Oof. Yeah. That's a combination of uh, luck, <laughs> resourcefulness. Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot. I didn't end up having to sue probably because I didn't actually have a case and it probably was illegal to record. I don't know yet. I, ha I still haven't looked that up. But um, they fired him and then completely shut down that, that arm of the business. And eventually the entire thing was shut down like two years later. So yeah, that was my big, my big entry into the tech world. Welcome. Yeah, right. So I was... My how, reaction. Can I ask how old were you when that happened? I was twenty-one. No, I was twenty. That's a an expedited route into real life. Yeah. So after that point, you've already started what was a business, mm -hmm. planning to sell it, being used, yeah. essentially, and then abused. Where did it leave you emotionally, energetically? My thought was immediately, if this is what this is, then I don't want to be a part of it anymore. I love 
entrepreneurship. Like I genuinely love business. I'm the type of person that if you t- if you talk about anything, I'm always thinking about how they're making money, how it works, why it works, why people are engaging with it. I just love all of that stuff. So I just basically decided to shut that part of my brain off. I was like, if this is obviously a bad thing, this is a bad world, these are bad people. And I came from a very sheltered home <laughs> background. So my, my understanding of the world was very black and white in that these are bad people. This is not a thing that I want to be involved in in a world that I should be trying to be involved in. And I don't want to get treated like that again. So I just, um, I would have ideas, I'd write them down and then I'd just throw them in the bin and just like leave them alone. You had to like yeah. go for a whole withdraw of mm. of of that world, yeah, but you mentioned Mark Zuckerberg, the social network being a motivation, but mm. even that is a is a story of intellectual theft, yeah this part of the world was also represented Hollywoodized but represented mm. in the story. Was it easy to ignore it or just you know it won't happen to me or I think I was just so excited that someone could think of something that could change the world for so many people that the i the actual legal aspect of it didn't really kind of dawn on me at that time I wasn't thinking about it. I was just thinking about the fact that there was someone like that was in university uh a young person and again black and white very sheltered lifestyle. I just thought everyone was on the same playing field. I just thought, oh, he's a university student I'm a university st- he was a university student I'm a university student. I have an idea. Why not go for it? I just thought the life life was the world is a lot simpler. There are so many wonderful things that happen because I took the step and said I was doing this because I lead the team that I lead because I help the people that I help. There are so many incredible things that happen from me saying yes the first time and kind of building this thing and moving forward and walking through the doors that other people could be would have been scared to walk through. Yeah. The results have been amazing. I wish I was as grateful for the company as everybody else seems to be, if that makes sense. Like, I wish... Like, because the sacrifices that I've made to my personal life, to my mental health, my like, for the past two weeks, I've had so many panic attacks. Like, those sacrifices that I make to my own personal lively, like, well-being... And try not to get overwhelmed, try not to get burnt out, like work and then relax and try to like organize myself so that I am still in the best position to lead this. And then if I'm not, I'm moving it on to someone that can lead it or finding the right people and doing all of that. I really recognize the toll that it takes on me as a person um, to lead this thing. And that is regrettable to me. That's the part of the entrepreneurial journey that's... Uh... You didn't sign up for, but you cannot delegate. Exactly. You said about recognition. There's a, founders often have that, that senior folks in companies that they're not being seen. You know, you're the one giving the shout-outs. You're the one mentioning in the newsletter. You're the one distributing the credit. And when you're at the top, there's not necessarily anyone to do that for you. I mean, actually, you know, my team is kind of amazing. And they are... They've, because I, I feel uncomfortable talking about stuff that comes to me and they kind of make a big deal out, to, uh, out of it and they're the ones that put it... Because if, if I ran the social media or newsletter, no one would ever know any of the good stuff that happens to me. 
Um, but they're the ones that kind of make it a big deal. They see so, you. They um, feel yeah. you. They yeah. want you high performing. They want to see you smiling. They wanna. They wanna keep their leader in a, in good shape. It's it's very empathic of them to to notice that they need to do that. That this is part of their job. Uh, um, I don't know if everyone else has been as open as I've been in this conversation. But uh, my my, I the reason. I don't know if this is their reason, but I lead with aggressive transparency. So that isn't to say that I cry on their shoulder, but they know when I'm having a hard time. They know what I'm dealing with and they know what I'm trying to do. The motivation I, I have for everything is literally, I want to change the world. Um, I don't know if that's conceited egocentric or how that reads, but I want to see the world become a better place and everything in my life is geared towards making that happen. So how do you cope with the ideal which for you is pretty huge um, and a reality that often has to be mediocre in order to keep existing I show people where we're going um, it used to scare me I used to say I could sell a vision but I don't know that I can back it up um, and that used to worry me because the backing up is where is where it actually lives right and so what I do is I tell them where we're going and I'm, I know that we can't be there yet but everything starts with a step, right? Um, one of the things I say to entrepreneurs that we're working with is, I know it feels good to say I'm going to go from zero to 60, but even that zero to 60, it goes from one to two to three to four. It just happens to do it very, very fast. So you just start with, uh, this is where we are. This is where we will be. And we're just moving in that, in that direction. So what did you have to give up in order to be who you are now? I have never been on a holiday. Never? Never. Well, after the age of 10. Uh, before 10, uh, what can you use a holiday for? <laughs> like, it doesn't, doesn't count. doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. I used to say, oh, no, it's because I'm creating a life that I don't want a holiday from, like those stupid posters. Um, oh. <laughs> oh. oh, come on. No, that is not true. Everyone needs a holiday no matter how awesome your life is, even if it's just for inspiration, for in- to, to go to another space. And see how other people do things. That's that's amazing. That's important. I was supposed to have my first holiday last year. And every time I look at it, I think about the work that I could be doing. I think about the, where I could be spending that money instead. I think about I could have a staycation instead and then just end up staying at home and working. Um, I have a workaholic in me that is very, 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 at the, very much at the forefront of my personality. And I do try to like bring that back what scares you about not being available for doing work i don't know yet that is something i'm now having to deal with and having to question what scares you about taking the time off what makes it impossible to detach i think it's because there's so much to do that the thought of taking any time to not be doing something means that i'm just going to have more stuff to do later so I'd rather just be doing it and getting on with it. And the problems that we're trying to solve are so big that it feels like every day should be spent trying to move the needle. Because there are people living and like, if you really think about it, like 55% of the black community in the UK is on benefits. 40% is living in poverty. The youth unemployment problem in Africa is building every day. It's going to be, if it's not already, the youngest population in the world. There are people who are 
doing waking up every single day doing everything they can just to just to like build something that could make a difference and doing their best to like bootstrap and all of this and are just being met with wall after wall after wall and if what we're doing can help identify them help them make their lives easier i don't know i just feel like my when i'm my problems or like my wanting to take a holiday kind of pales in comparison to like all of the different people that we could be helping or the speed at which we could be going to make that uh, to kind of solve that problem quicker i will say this just like as a psa i do not put this on anybody else no one else in my team is expected to work as hard as i do i actually actively caution them against it because i do recognize it as a personality default rather than a this is what we should all be doing yeah holiday is not just the uh, champagne in an infinity pool looking over the sunset it's not just about the indulgent it's also about a sustainable way of walking and yeah. living i think a world without you in it would be a lesser version of the world with you in it you owe it to yourself yeah to find the sustainable way of going about it so my team has kind of rallied around me and they've been fantastic and we're working on how we allocate tasks more so they have they all have access to my calendar so they know how much i'm doing and when i'm doing it um so they can like organize themselves accordingly the fact that we have six other people who are doing things that i ordinarily would have been doing myself uh is remarkable and i'm very grateful for that and what we're doing now is actually just growing a lot quicker so that those things that are on my list can just be farmed out to more people you know with all due respect to wanting to be three months off three days is a more legitimate start three days could be hard enough no no i can do i can go three days i've got i you can go three my, days yeah i okay maybe <laughs> um yeah No, yeah. Okay, I can't go three days. I, I I will try three days. I'll tell you what. I've learned <laughs> that it's easier to take a week off work than a day off work. Okay. Because a day off work, you still have all those uh, all those little all those little tales of tasks that you want to complete, and you've worked it up, and you're still like, oh, I just you still remember the meeting you had to cancel yeah. for that week. It's hard, and you have to like uh, you're still. Yeah. And then you like just start unwinding and then you're back. You're back. Yeah. With a week, you know, you need to plan ahead. You need to push meetings. You cover yourself another day to return. You have to let people know you put them out of office. And then first day you check your email once, twice, three times. Second day you do it the same. Third day you've gone out at night. You wake up. You're like, they're here. I'm not looking at my phone. <laughs> Fourth day you're already easing into the week. Fifth day. Work what? <laughs> so I'm not saying take a vacation long enough to forget your computer password. <laughs> But I promise you that one day off will be easy will be harder than a week off. Yeah. Do it now now needs its leader and you want to place yourself at the point where you are, you know, peak performing, not just peak surviving. When I was reaching burned out uh, in my last role, I was irritable. I was unpleasant to work with. Mm-hmm. I read back some of the emails I sent back then and I'm not proud of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't solution-oriented all the, all the time. I, I was just angry that things weren't going my way. Mm. And my communication became lazy. Mm. 
you know, I know how to solve a conflict in a constructive manner seven, eight, nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. But when we're tired, when we're depleted, we don't approach conflict or adversity with the same patience, with the same empathy. Yeah. And, and I think that's huge because we need to keep ourselves at a level that, that allows for these constructive solutions to come about. What else uh, would you like to tell us about Do It Now Now and how can our listeners promote and get involved with the amazing work you guys are doing? Well, I can tell you about the name. Please. <laughs> so Do It Now Now, as you can imagine, it speaks to urgency. It's basically, an, it's Nigerian, well, it's Af- it's gen- most people say now now to kind of say you should have been doing this 10 minutes ago, which I suppose has kind of <laughs> seeped into the way we do everything or the way I approach life in general is... This should have been done 10 minutes ago. Let's get on with it. But in South Africa, actually, now now is has the opposite meaning of like, I have the intention to do it, but I haven't done it yet. So yeah, I I sometimes think we'll have to change the name at some point to like... Something that's more internationally recognizable. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> actually, now now in Spanish means a four hour siesta. I, know, like, oh. <laughs> I, <Right>. I, <laughs> I don't know that that's the case, but, uh, but uh, you know, I can see how in a, in a, in a different uh, world it would actually be meaning something completely different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Uh, but it speaks to urgency. It does. Um, the problems are way too big to to keep talking about them. I was I kept talking about all of these problems for so long and I just got irritated uh, being in rooms with people who were talking about it but had kind of seemed to get off on talking about it and being really intellectual about the problems. And it was like, well, we could just do something. And we should have been doing something with all the privilege and the opportunity that we have. Um, we should have been doing something. We should have done it a while ago. So, yeah. Walk me through the company's proposition, the business model. Who are the moving parts? So... Do It Now Now breaks itself up into initiatives. So we've got the different demographics that we're trying to support, and we support them through different methodologies. One is AfriTech XYZ. So that's our virtual accelerator for African tech entrepreneurs, where we have over uh, about 120 mentors from around the world who are tech professionals, non-tech professionals, um, investors, government officials, NGO, um, NGO professionals, people that have a vested interest in like a, or a curiosity in innovation uh, or specifically in African innovation. So we pair them or match them with uh, founders on the African continent that have been through a due diligence process or an application process and have been selected by a selection committee to be part of a cohort that gets access to resource. Um, then we've also got Black and Good, which used to be um, an in-person incubator. Uh, we trained, um, well, it turned out to be black women, but we didn't specifically aim for black women, uh, but we trained black women on uh, who were building social enterprises to become more tech savvy so that they could automate parts of their businesses and be able to um, support more people. Then we also have something called Common Core, which we is going through a reiteration at the moment, um, but it is a debt fund. It's a, turning into a debt fund for uh, black owned businesses in the UK. It was previously a grant fund that we were running um, and uh, we're trying to kind of make it more sustainable um, because philanthropic funding cannot rely on my pocket alone and uh, just trying to make it more sustainable now that we've tested it and we know that it works and that we can identify and support people effectively. We've also got My Moon Landing 
which is a local council support system, um, support mechanism by which, um, whereby we select 75 uh, black female LGBTQ plus and non-binary people to take part in a year long program that educates them about activism, leadership mm-hmm. and entrepreneurship so that they can effectively uh, work within the infrastructure and cultural systems and local systems that exist to affect systems change so that they can interact effectively with their local services, their lo- local council and design and develop their own things that could eventually be commissioned by local councils. What are some ways for people to uh, support the cause, support the business? Well, we're always looking for patrons who are interested in supporting us as we are a non-profit and we are partly reliant on clients, but also partly reliant on grants. So if you have any introductions to people that would be interested in uh, hiring us as consultants for any diversity and inclusion work that they're doing um, or have products or services that they think would benefit uh, African tech entrepreneurs, black women, LGBTQ or non-binary people, or uh, are interested in talking to us about the debt fund that we're setting up, then we'd be very interested. Excellent. And from speaking with you for the past hour, amount of areas that you've got to walk in and peek into and can add value in is immense. Um, I'd highly recommend anyone who's looking into those areas to get in touch. Personally, it's been a pleasure uh, hearing about your journey. Any last words you'd want to share with our listeners? Just a thank you to you for uh, for having me on. Uh, I'd wanted to meet you for a while, so I'm glad that I did. And um, yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been our absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so much for the work you're doing and the work that you will keep doing in the future. <laughs> and with that, we're signing off. Thank you. <laughs>